Okay, so we are in the middle of a series that we're preaching here called New Year's Solutions. New Year's Solutions. And the idea is that we are taking the uh, New Year's resolutions that are most commonly made in Australia and, and handpicking a few of them and looking at what's really behind them. Like, what, why do we make the resolutions, okay? So in the first week, we looked at get fitter, eat better, which kind of sums up, like, most of the resolutions, honestly. Like, most of people's New Year's resolutions have to do with go to the gym more, get fitter, look better, stop smoking. Like, it all has to do with physical health stuff. Those are the bulk of them. And then last week, we looked at I'm going to get in a new relationship, which is another fairly common resolution. And this year, we're looking at an interesting one. I'm going to give to charity more this year. Or I'm going to volunteer more. And I like this one. I think this is interesting because it's a resolution about other people. I'm going to get in a new relationship is also about other people, but in a kind of a weird way, where you're like, you're saying, you're going to love me by the end of the year. You know? <laughs> get the podcast. You'll hear more about it there. So my suggestion to you tonight is really simple. No matter how generous you are resolving to be in 2019, God is offering more for you more generosity than you can imagine. You can't compete with that. A few stats and figures about generosity. I'm not sure if you know, Australia is a relatively generous nation, relatively speaking. So there's, there's a, 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 a group called the Charities Aid Foundation. And every year they do this big global test to see how generous different nations are. And they interview over 100, interview, survey, over 150,000 people to do this. Now that's a very big sample size. I know it's not much out of 7 billion, but it's, it's still a lot of people to survey. So they have a pretty good indication of how generous nations actually are. And Australia is always in the top 10. So relatively speaking, we are generous. And the three things they look at are this. Do people volunteer their time? Do, do, do they spend time volunteering? And many of you here serve on Team Encounter, and you probably do many things outside of that as well. Do people, well, this is a really cool one, what do people do when a stranger is in need? So that's like the Good Samaritan idea, but paired way, way, way back. Like they're not saying you have to cross the street and you know, pick up a broken person. But like if someone's lost and says, can you help me? I'm looking for directions. That's, that's a step in that direction, right? Of saying, I'm going to help a stranger in the street rather than you know, just do that and keep on walking. Um, so those are the first two. And then the final one is, is a bit more normal. And that's how much money are people donating to charity? Now, globally, what's really cool is that those first two numbers are going up. More people are willing to give up their time and volunteering, which I think is incredible because we're all time poor nowadays, right? How are you? Busy. Yeah, just really busy. Just busy. Busy doing what? Ah, oh, just busy, really. You know, we're all time poor, so it's awesome that that is going up. Likewise, more people report their willingness or their experience, even better, that they helped a stranger in the past year, which is awesome. Guess what's not going up? Charitable giving. Charitable giving is going down, which says that as even though people in their spirits are saying, yeah, 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 I'm willing to help. You give me a job, I'll do it. I'll give up some time for that. Sure, working bee, yeah, I'll get into it. Someone's in need, they need a car, a tire change, I can do that. Sure, let's get around it. But you put your hand on your pocket as soon as a charity starts coming near. In fact, the statistics report that our trust in charities is going way down. It's dropping and dropping and dropping. And probably this reflects our society's trust in institutions. And I've got to be honest, if you said to me, what do I see in the church? I see the same thing. I see that generally speaking, people are extremely generous with their time. And that as you kind of 
continue to encourage the idea of community, people were really generous with the idea of walking up to a stranger, and I hope some people are doing this tonight, and saying, hey, it's great to see you. Hey, let me help you find a space here. Let me get you a coffee. This is the stuff I see. I find people are more likely, though, to hold on to their wallets just a little bit longer. This is what I still see. Now, I, I, I have an interesting viewpoint on this because I'm married to one of the most generous people I know, but probably the most generous person I know. She's ridiculous. Like We could spell generosity with a J, partly because my wife's name is Jen, and also partly because she's not a great speller. And so every time... <laughs> it's on the podcast now. Every time... Somebody comes and reaches out and says, oh, is, is it all right if you give money? Yeah, Jen's like, yeah, take it, take it. Anybody who knocks on our door, anybody who rings our phone, anybody who accidentally emails her when they were intending to send it to somebody else is probably going to get some money back in return. And she runs the finances in our family, so I have no idea. And every now and then she's like, oh, money's a bit tight this month. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wonder if you just gave it all away. Like, I wouldn't even know. Just give me enough to have a coffee and I'm pretty satisfied, really. And the only reason I know how much she's giving away to all these different groups is she, is she forgets that they, when they get your address, they keep sending you the letters. So all these different aid organisation letters are coming in. I'm like, oh, man, who even are these people? These don't exist. You know? And so eventually, I'm like, I just throw my hands up. I'm married to a generous woman. Jen grew up fairly poor. She didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. And so she's never had this sense that it had a hold on her. I did not. I grew up decidedly middle class, only child, adopted only child, which means I get whatever I want whenever I want. My parents are taking us on a cruise later this year. I don't even really know how it happened. Like, this still happens. I, I can feel the waves of empathy coming from you. Like, so relatable, Mike. Keep preaching. <laughs> my point is, whereas my wife, when you talk about generosity, is like, yeah, this is brilliant. Yeah, I do these things. Awesome. And then she probably gets challenged and gives more money away again, so I'm glad she's not in the room. But I hear it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, generosity. Yeah, sure, my time. I can give my time. No worries. Yeah, can I help a stranger? Definitely. Money, though, not so much. But I remember when I met Jesus when I was 19 years old, things started to change in my heart. And I was a bit older. I was about 20, 22 by the time I started tithing. It was really when I got my first full-time job, which, by the way, is a terrible time to start giving. You should start giving when you have as little money as possible. Because then when you're giving 10%, it's like, oh, $5 out of my 50. Sure, whatever. There you go. And it's not as big a deal. And then as it starts growing, it's less of a challenge because you become used to it. But that's what I did. And I distinctly remember the first time that God really challenged me on my generosity. Not just on tithing, but on a bit more than that. It was the day of the, the uh, Boxing Day tsunami, or the, the, that time, and the Red Cross was taking up a big appeal. This is uh, 2004, the big tsunami in the Pacific Ocean. Pacific? Indian? Indian Ocean. And um, the Red Cross is taking up an appeal, and I really sensed from God, you should give your weekly salary to the Red Cross for the Boxing Day tsunami. I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of a big deal. Now, asterisk, I lived at home under my parents' roof paying no rent. So... My weekly salary, yes, it was a reasonably large amount of money, but what was I doing with it? Just buying coffee, come on. Um, buying things for Jenny. So I, I rang the Red Cross appeal one night and when they're having the big sort of telethon. I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll just ring in and do it. Maybe I'll end up you know, being one of those people that, get, that gets on as they're doing it. It's all random. And uh, the lady on the other end said, oh, thanks for donating. How much are you giving? And I, I said the amount, which was my, my week's salary. And she was like, whoa. Really? That's a lot of money. 
I was like, oh. And for the first time, I was like, it is. And, in my, and that's fine. I didn't then start to go, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't give that much money. No, 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 no. What happened to me was slightly different. And rather than try and explain it, I'm just going to show you a clip from Seinfeld, okay? This probably encapsulates it better. So, Ash, if you want to play that clip. You're a very kind man. Babu, you're Pakistani, right? Yes, Pakistani, yes. Babu, may I say something? Of course, you're a very smart man. I listen. I am not a restaurateur by any means. But it occurred to me that perhaps you might serve some dishes from your native Pakistan, as opposed to, say, the Franks and Beans, for example. But there are no Pakistani people here. Doesn't matter. You would have the only authentic Pakistani restaurant in the whole neighborhood. Yes. You see everything, don't you? Well, you know, not everything. I do what I can. I closed down today, and when I open again, it will be old Pakistani restaurant. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're a very special person. Very special. I am such a great guy. Who else would have gone to the trouble to help this poor immigrant? I am special. My mother was right. Of course, I've never had Pakistani food. How bad could it be? Can anyone relate to this feeling? Like it's, it's not that I went, oh, man, that's a lot of money. I went, well, I guess it is. It's not a big deal. And, and, so, and so suddenly, suddenly I realized we have these two problems that I'm dealing with. The first is that we're not as generous as we ought to be. And the second is we give ourselves more credit than we ought to. Both of these things are happening together. So we get to the scripture that we heard this evening. So we're going to be in Matthew 4 for a bit. And then I'm going to jump to First Kings, uh, Matthew 6, sorry, verses 1 to 4. So in this scripture, Jesus in the midst, is in the midst of giving his most famous sermon. It's known as the Sermon on the Mounts in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And he's giving this discourse on what it means to truly follow God. And in the middle of it, in, in, at the start of chapter 6, he starts to share on these three different things. And it looks like he's teaching about giving and praying and fasting, and he is. But what he's really teaching on is the nature of our spirits. And in each teaching, he challenges us by basically saying this, don't go public on the things you do for God. Now, Jesus begins this passage. Listen to this in verse 1, verse 2 rather. Whenever you give to the poor, he doesn't say if, he says when. When you give to the poor, Jesus begins by assuming our generosity. He assumes that people listening to him, believing in him, following him will be generous. And that's because for the Jewish people that were following him, it was in their religious system, it was in their upbringing. Yes, we will give to the poor. Yes, we will fast. Yes, we will pray. This is who we are and for Christians, we've said this is now a bar instead of as the floor. That's, that's a message for another time. We'll come back, come back to that. Jesus assumes our financial generosity. So that's the first challenge to take away from this passage. What are we doing with our money? And I've got to tell you as well, based on Old Testament principles and Mosaic law, Jesus would be expecting his listeners to be giving away a minimum of 10% of their income. 
That's because in the Old Testament, they were giving a tithe of their income. The word tithe means 10%. And as well as that, they would bring offerings and almsgivings for the poor and the needy. We're talking a bare, bare minimum of 10%. And another thing that I hear from all the time, or I feel like there's this sense that 10% of our giving is a bar that we reach up to eventually, as opposed to our minimum. Jesus was always challenging when he talks about money. We're going to talk about other stuff apart from money too, but we'd be naive not to talk about it. Jesus talked about it a lot. Tithes and offerings. For us, I think we probably hear that as a challenge. I don't think Jesus intended that part to be a challenge. I think he just took it for granted that we would be generous or his listeners would be generous. But Jesus then challenges us to do three things, three really simple things. First, be generous, we talked about. The second, be discreet. Be discreet. Don't go telling everybody what you're doing. In fact, Jesus puts it this way. He says, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. He says this about prayer as well. And you've got no idea how confronting it is to be a pastor praying from stage, thinking in your head, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites praying on street corners. We've got to be very careful. Very careful. He says, truly I tell you, they have their reward. Verse 3, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That seems difficult. So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the three things Jesus is asking us to do is to be generous, to be discreet and not pat ourselves on the back about it. Now that's really hard. It's harder than we think. Being generous is hard on its own. Being generous without being discreet in an age of self-promotion and social media is very difficult. It's very easy to go, just Instagram storying down here at the food kitchen. It's no big deal. I'm just hanging with my friend. What's your name? Tom. Yep, we're just feeding, feeding the poor here. This is just what I do. It's not a big deal at all. Blessed to be a blessing. You know, <laughs> It's very easy to do that. But to be generous and be discreet is harder. And the final one, which is harder again. And like everything Jesus does, this kind of cuts to the heart of it. Don't pat yourself on the back about it when you do it. Now I've got to tell you, this is almost impossible. All of altruism, that is, that is giving without expected reward, has this sense that even like I think I should be being altruistic. I think I should be being generous, which is kind of like patting myself on the back. There's almost like a perfect circle of where we try to be generous and where we can't be generous. It is almost impossible to get there. And like everything Jesus does, he sets us up for this impossible task that his listeners are going, well, how? How are we supposed to do it? This is how he gets you, friends. But Jesus also says this, God will reward you for your giving. That's really interesting. Challenges me. Because I sometimes think like, no, 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 when we're giving, we're doing it because it's the right thing, capital R, capital T, the right thing to do. Uh, we should be giving. And Jesus says, yeah, you should. I, take, I assume you'll be doing this. But also God will reward you. Huh. And then he adds to it. He just says, yeah, just remember that if you choose to get all the applause down here, you don't really need any blessings from God, do you? Because you're choosing to get it from everyone around me. Tell me how special I am. My mother was right. You know, that's, that's how we do it. We look around asking for that generosity. Jesus is reminding his listeners, 
have a more vibrant and authentic private relationship with God and a more humble, honest, public life. We should be more humble in a sense, like extremely humble behind closed doors, but, but to display humility in front of other people. The difficulty about displaying humility is you can't show other people you're displaying humility. Gets back to that circle you can't do again. It's very difficult. We should be declaring the name of Jesus, not self-promoting our own names. Do we let our left hand know what our right hand is doing? If we work in the corporate world, are we making donations and not trying to make sure they're traced back to us? How anonymous can we be with our generosity while being incredibly traceable with, and vulnerable and uh, transparent with the rest of our financial dealings? It's interesting, isn't it? In an age of transparency, Jesus says, don't be transparent with your generosity. Now, I do think that self-promotion is a spiritual problem we should be concerned about. And I do think, like I said, in our current day of social media, this is something we really need to watch in ourselves if we tend towards self-promotion. But there's something extra that I think God wants you to take away today. Because Jesus himself is living proof of the generosity of God toward us. God who loves us so deeply that he gave his only son that nobody should perish but that all should have eternal life. This is the gift of God to us, his own son. And the key word I want you to catch in that verse I just read is gave. God who gave his only son. The generosity of God. God is intrinsically generous to us, friends. It's his nature to be generous. Far more than we can even imagine. Now, if you're here and you're not sure where you stand with God, maybe you're not sure if you believe in God or you've been away from God for a long time and you're just wrestling with that, let me encourage you. Can I, can I ask that maybe you consider walking out of here tonight, reminding yourself that we live in one of the wealthiest, most blessed nations on earth. And as a result, we should be more generous. But if you're here tonight and you, you feel like you know where you stand with Jesus, like you know that he died for you, he loves you, he rose again from the grave. Can I encourage you to do the same thing because of the generosity of God toward you? There's an overflow effect. There's nothing we can ever do to repay back God. But there's this sense that we go out of our gratitude, how loving, how generous can I be in return? This is what we are called to do, but it's still not the main point. So let me jump to another Bible passage, and this is in 1 Kings chapter 17. And 1 Kings is one of these six consecutive books, which are easy to remember because they only make you remember three names, and then they do numbers. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. 1 Kings chapter 17, we are looking at a story involving Elijah. Elijah is a boss. He is one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and he does these incredible works, and he becomes this like household name actually, in the future of the church, that people look back and they say, it's like Elijah. In fact, John the Baptist, when they're talking about him, they say, oh, it's like Elijah has come again. That's the second coming of Elijah. That's how good John the Baptist is. So he's, uh, Elijah is. So he's this bar for us. And what we see here is Elijah going to this widow that lives in a town to, uh, called Zarephath, in a region called Sidon. And it says this, I'm reading from uh, verse 9. Look, I've commanded a widow, a woman who is a widow to provide you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. 
As she went to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. I love like proactive hospitality. Do you ever, do you ever wish you could try that with a neighbor? You just wander down the road and be like, hey, you got some water and some bread? What? Yeah, yeah. Just, are, are you poor? No, just, you know, water and bread, anybody? You know, see how many doors you get shut in your face? Yeah, I bet you could get a few meals out of that, bro. No one's laughing. I'm going to keep going. Uh, verse 12. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, and this is important, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said first. Now, in this story, this widow is preparing to die and there's a subtext here. The subtext says that God has given up on us. He's left us alone to fend for ourselves. So I've given up on life. That's it. I'm done. I've got nothing else in me. I'm gathering up these sticks so we can die peacefully as much as we can. But Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty and the oil jug did not run dry. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Elijah. Now, the widow is preparing to die. She says, God has given up on me, so I've given up on life. But it's not true. It's not true. Elijah challenges this woman. He says, in your misery, in your struggle, in your lack, be generous. Give to me. And just imagine what's running through this woman's mind. To be honest, I wonder whether her first response was like, sure, whatever, we're going to die anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder whether she even had the energy to be outraged. But Elijah says, just give it to me. Be generous. Show me your generosity. And she does. And God provides for her something that was so significant that Jesus himself began to take it up as this saying. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Not more than we need, not an abundance, not over and a top. Just give us what we need for this day. Ask God for your provision for the day. The widow never became wealthy, but with God, she also never lacked. That's important. Now for us here, there's two challenges happening side by side. There's always two challenges happening side by side when God's doing a work in us. The first is the obvious one. What do we do with our money How do we deal with our money? How do we trust the church? How do we trust other institutions? How do we trust anyone but ourselves with every cent that comes across our desk? But I've got to tell you, friends, even though that's important, critically important, what's always really important is what God's doing in your spirit. Because unless your spirit is transformed by the spirit of God, you're never going to let go of your money anyway. It doesn't matter how often I ask. So we're a buckleless church, but every now and then we preach on generosity, right? This is a quid pro quo. So some of us here won't give our money away because simply we're still learning about what it means to submit our whole lives to Jesus. That's totally fine. If you're in that place, this is a process. 
Some of us won't give it away because simply we feel betrayed by institutions like churches and charities. I would love to let you know what we spend our money on. If you go through Growth Track, we talk about it week one. Here's where our money goes. Here's where our budget is. We're as transparent about that as we can be. But in the interest of time, come and chat to me later if you want to hear about that. But here's the third thing. Some of us won't give it away, not because we're learning to follow Jesus or because we don't trust the church, but because we don't actually trust God to provide for us. We trust God in the good times. Because in the good times, it's pocket money. It's disposable income. It's like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to give this $15 and I won't go to that second movie this week. I'm a pretty great guy that way, right? Or like, yeah, do you know what? Let's take Netflix from five screens down to four. (sighs) I'm a giver. I am a good person. (laughs) I love that line. My mother was right. (laughs) So we trust him in the good times, but not in the bad. In the bad, when the bad times come, we are like the widow. We're going around gathering up sticks saying, I'm prepared to die. God, you're not providing enough for me. You don't have enough for me. But this year, if you're a part of Encounter Church, we're telling you, we believe this is a year of more. More. God has more for you in 2019. And I don't know what your background is with church, but I know there are some church backgrounds where people feel burned by this idea of more because it seems to be like a sense of we are going to get more money this year. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe. Good luck to you if that's the case. What I'm saying is that God wants to give you more of his spirit in 2019. And when you operate out of more of his spirit, God can do extraordinary things through you. In fact, way more than if you had more money because he is healing you. He's transforming you. He's using you. You become the gift. You go and start giving to other people. You give your time. You volunteer. You help the stranger. And then maybe you reach into your pocket and give some money as well. But it's about what God is doing in your spirit. God is not a God of poverty. He's a God of abundance. But it's not even because he doesn't want you to be poor. Maybe it is that for a time he wants you to learn what it means to have a little bit less than those around you. Maybe it's something he wants you to learn about empathy. Maybe. Maybe he wants you to learn what it means to have more for a period of time to challenge you in your generosity. No, God is a God of abundance because he has poured himself out on us in his spirit. The spirit of God is where we see the abundance of God. The true generosity of God, my friends, is nothing to do with our money. And while it is formed so beautifully in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, it is bestowed upon us in oceans of grace in the form of the Holy Spirit. Something I like to say is that giving your life to Jesus is what brings your life, but it's being filled with the Spirit that really makes life worth living. I was really struck uh, the last couple of weeks. I was chatting to a friend of mine who moved churches. And I was like, mate, why do you move churches? Just out of curiosity. You know, no judgment, no frustration. You know, we're a church plant. Everybody here has either joined a church or moved to church. Um, he said, you know, I just needed more of the Holy Ghost. I was like, huh, yeah. That's because when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, something begins to stir in us. It's something unexplained to others. We receive the generosity of God. Why? So we can be generous to others. This is why generosity is a core value of Encounter Church. Not because we want your money, because we want way more than that. We want your whole life. We want your spirit. We want your heart. We want you to live your lives in a way that matters. I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for that in my own life. 
And I know the more God challenges me with generosity, the more I begin to have that. Can I get the band to come back up? And God says to us, those of us who feel a bit dry, maybe like we're like that widow, like I'm just a bit dry right now. He says, just ask. Came to her demanding a drink, but he had the water, really. And his question for her was simple. Where's your faith in the provision of God? Where's your faith in the provision of God? So the widow trusts and she receives her daily bread again and again and again and again. But that's not the end of the story. Because the famine breaks and they have enough food again. But the widow's son gets sick. He catches ill and he dies. And the widow in grief and bitterness comes to Elijah and says, why did you come here? Why did you come? To what? To expose my sin and kill my son? The woman is crushed. But of course, that's not why Elijah came. So Elijah is moved. He goes and cries out to God and he heals the boy, raising him from the dead. And only then does the woman affirm that Elijah is a man of God because it's one thing to continue living, just getting by, picking up sticks day by day and hoping you don't die. It's another to have the breath of life breathed into your lungs and be brought back from the dead. And friends, the promise of God in Christ is this. You are not just called to just pick up just enough sticks to just go on living and hope that you don't die. You are being breathed fresh life back into the breath of God in your lungs for today and every day and not just for you, but for overflowing for others. So here's the thing. God, of course, never came to call attention to her sins by killing her son, God came to remove the burden of sins by allowing His own Son to die instead. This is how God subverts all our understandings. And then He breathes life back into all creation, giving us the Holy Spirit. The breath of life, the companion. So what does this all have to do with generosity? Everything, everything. God's great gift of generosity is seen in allowing His Son to die for us and giving us the abundant, never-ending gift of the Holy Spirit, the streams of living water that fill our souls and never run dry, that when we feel dry, we call again, we turn our face to God and say, fill us, Lord, give us this water, give us this nourishment. And He abundantly provides Where's your faith in the provision of God? We've been given this extraordinary gift, the breath of God in our lungs, the Spirit of God inside of us. And it begins with our finances. It does begin with our finances. But it ends with our spirits. It ends with our spirits. Some of you are feeling dry tonight. And what you really need is to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's, it's really not complicated, but we're very good at making it complicated. <laughs> this is what we do when we come across things that are uncomfortable. And uh, if you're living in Australia, anywhere near the middle class, welcome. This is what it feels like to be uncomfortable. 
what if it's just time to simply put your hands out in surrender like we modelled earlier and just receive the Spirit of God tonight? Just receive. So simple. It doesn't matter how far you are or how close you are. You could be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit tonight. Three practical tips for being generous in 2019 before we finish because I promised this would be a practical series and then I start talking about the Holy Spirit. Tip number one, start tithing to your local church. I'm serious. What it does is it takes a monkey off your back. It makes you more prayerful. It blesses your church in all that it does to do all the things that you love them doing. If you're listening to this online and you're part of the Encounter community, can I encourage you, start giving. Be generous in that way. But if you're listening to this online and you're part of a different church, start giving to your local church. The key there is not to just jump and give to us, it's to give to your local church where you planted. Be generous in that space in the way that God's calling you to. So Elijah challenged the widow to give to him. I'm challenging you that if you're part of Encounter, tithe to Encounter. Pray over it by all means, but don't be afraid to stretch your overall generosity, not just to Encounter, but outside of that, past 10%. So number one, give to your local church, tithe to your local church. Number two, Pray over your pay slip, okay? Pray over your pay slip. So this is half practical, but it's something you can do. When you get your pay in, it's one of the things that I heard that I thought was really wise is somebody once asking me about tithing said to me, I don't want to just give the money. I want it to be something like I'm praying over it. And that's the one disadvantage of doing a direct debit. Direct debit is the wisest way to give because it's consistent, it's reliable, and that certainly helps your local church as well as it helps you. But it can make it a little less prayerful. Can I encourage you when your payslip comes in, pray over it. Ask God, what do you want me to do with your money this week, God? Because it's His money. Ask yourself that. Um, Be both prayerful and strategic in your giving, including to charity, okay? And here's the final one, and this is actually the most important. When we talk about generosity and encounter, this is the main thing we're talking about. It's not about your finance. It's not about your time. It's about your spirit. Have a generous spirit this year. That means you forgive more easily. You let go of bitterness. It means you believe the best in people in conversations. You encourage and lift one another up. You be kind every time you can. And when someone cuts you off in traffic, pray for them instead and keep those hands on the steering wheel. Know what I mean? Like, believe the best in people. Have a generous spirit in 2019.